Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt. And welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're discussing Season 1, Episode 12, Vortex, teleplayed by Sam Rolfe and directed by Weinrich Colby. This episode aired on April 18th, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, a fugitive from the Gamma Quadrant attempts to trade evidence about Odo's people for freedom. Awesome. So, Elise, what did you think of, of this week's episode of Vortex? To be honest, when I watched it the first time earlier in the week, I thought it was really boring and I was barely paying attention. <laughs> I was like, there's someone doing some sort of something and yeah, yada, yada, yada. But um, this, I enjoyed it a little bit more the second watch. But um, there's so much manipulation going on in this episode. <laughs> Can least, you tell me more about that? Who's manipulating who? Um, I felt really strong. I was going to go into this a little bit later, but I felt really strongly that Croden was manipulating Odo to get him to help him by... Right. I mean, I guess it's the premise of the episode is that he wants help with whatever he's planning and he's trying to tell Odo that he knows something a little bit about his species to get him to help him. But I also felt like Quark was, I mean, Quark's always manipulating someone, so that's not really far-fetched. But, Fair. um, yeah. Fair. I, also, I felt like this episode kind of did give me, like, made me a little excited to find out more about Odo. I mean, I know, obviously, from having watched before, but... I, ho- I wonder if, like, people watching the first time are kind of curious, more curious about where Odo comes from after watching this episode. Yeah, and, and I think it's kind of interesting, because I think, so we've watched 12 episodes of Deep Space Nine now, and over the, like, last kind of run since the pilot, it's kind of like, we've seen a, a feature episode from kind of our various main cast members, mm-hmm. and we and we have two from Odo. This is like the second one I remember being kind of like what I could classify as like an Odo episode. Yeah. So of course, a man, a man alone, mm-hmm. and then now this one as well. And like, I feel like up to this point in the series, I have a better picture of Odo as like a three dimensional. I was gonna say human being, um, a three dimensional <laughs> character. Because there is, like, softer sides to him that we see in this episode. And this is the first time we see Odo smile. He hasn't, like, smiled before. And he's been very much kind of, like, in work mode. So, like, we know that despite his smoothness, that there are are layers and there are some complexities there. And I think that that... I think that that is really highlighted in a conversation we'll probably get in more later where Quark's talking about Odo and the qualities of what he knows as Odo versus where the episode ends. So I do think that's interesting there. And I will hold any other further thoughts until, until we come in later in the discussion. Cause for the, for the first time ever, and we, we try our best not, not to do this, but we are going to have kind of a brief um, spoiler talk, which we'll give you ample warning for, you know, later in the episode when you can kind of pause or skip ahead or, or whatever. Cause I find this episode hard to talk about 
through just the lens of this being episode 12 and not knowing about the other 160 some episodes of, of the show, like kind of with, with hindsight. For sure. It's interesting that you mentioned his smile because it made me think of how he's different from, um, from data. Cause like data doesn't have, well, during the TNG, he doesn't have his emotion chip and stuff like that. And it just, I don't, it just, that made me think of that difference. Cause I feel like they're both like, non-human characters on their show and it's just interesting to compare no that definitely is star trek has this like trend or trope of like the outsider character right your spocks your datas Mm -hmm. your odos your the doctors on voyager yep or the doctor singular um (laughs) so yeah no that is an an interesting analysis sorry i interrupted you go ahead oh no you're fine um i was changing the subject so i didn't know that you wanted to comment on what I was saying, so it made more sense for you to go. Well, uh, I mean, it is a, it is a podcast, so it is a lot of like when it's just when it's you know just you and me, it's a lot of us commenting on, on yes, each other's comments, tr- commenting on the comments. Um, I thought the scene towards the end of the episode where um, they were showing the round the runabout get getting away, and they. Um, it was all purple in the background and I thought that was really, um, pretty and it really looked cool and like, it was a little like trippy, like leaving the vortex and I thought that was nice. And I was reading that this was a expensive episode to create. So I wonder if it was partially those scenes. It was a fairly effects-heavy episode, yeah. Which I think is probably why we had that bit in the in the teaser with the glass, where Odo is the extra glass that Rom's on the plate taking when Quark right. meets with the the Miradorn. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was just like we didn't see Odo shapeshift; we just like infer there. I think that was kind of a, a clever way to do it. But like, I wonder now you saying that if they didn't have the budget for it because they had to do, like, the space battle and all the right. Vortex mm-hmm. stuff, right? I read that the so. um, the scene with the glasses was an homage to Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, which is a movie I've seen but not recently. I need to rewatch that. That there was, like, a scene in that movie that was similar to that. Well, yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I'll have to watch it, too. It's good, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um. <laughs> There were some other interesting, like, fun things in this episode. Um, So the original premise for this episode was based on the 1953 Anthony. I read this in uh, on Memory Alpha. They said they had gotten information from Star Trek Deep Space Nine Companion. So the the premise for this episode was based on the 1953 Anthony Mann movie, The Naked Spur. And Michael Piller actually was like... I guess looked up who or had known that Sam Rolf had like written that movie and hired Sam Rolf to write this episode. So the person who wrote the original movie, it was kind of inspired by wrote the episode also. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And I, I haven't heard of I, that movie though. So I should, should probably check that out. Yeah. And I think too, this, so this isn't the first time that Sam Rolf wrote an episode for Star Trek. He wrote an episode of Star Trek, the next generation called the vengeance factor and two of the Miradon, um, kind of henchmen were gatherers, which was a, a group that was introduced in the vengeance factor. The vengeance factor is that one where it's like a Riker episode where Riker falls for that one, like servant of like the leader trying to broker peace with like, 
the breakaway group and there's some blood clan thing and she's going around killing them but she's really old but looks young i vaguely yeah. remember that but yeah fine. i think it's like a season three episode i want to okay. say but yeah it doesn't matter probably not <laughs> worth the time it took me to confirm the title of the vengeance factor but for you dear listeners there will be no time at all because <laughs> i will edit it out the magic of podcasting and I have to apologize for a spoiler last week. Um, this is the first episode in which we get the name Morn for the character Morn. And I had called him Morn last week, but we didn't know that yet. So, um, yeah, Morn's name was first mentioned. So that's kind of fun. Morn, as you said last week, was kind of like the for Cheers. Like he was supposed to be like the norm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know Same what? I, I don't think it. Yeah, and I, like I don't think it's bad that we necessarily name dropped Morn and oh no, I'm just early because like sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah, and that's we know Morn's name. Yeah, Morn's great, but he didn't open his mouth in this one, even though he was told we were told that he was chatty. <laughs> um, no, it's funny we mentioned Morn and the whole Cheers thing because like. There's like a, at the time of this recording, not to, to date it too too much, but there's there's viral tweets going around how old the character of Norm and John Ratzenberger's character from Cheers, the the postman whose whose name I don't remember, because I was born in the mid to late eighties, so I think I've only really seen I think I've seen a season and a half of Cheers, like somewhat recently, and I don't remember that character's name either. But do you remember Woody Harrelson with hair? I didn't get it. I didn't get up to him. Did you get as far as Woody? No, Um, I kind of dropped off. I'm not a huge, like, sitcom fan. Like, I get bored of them. Well, and, like, sitcoms, like, age the worst. Yeah, they... a lot of, like... No, totally. TV, right? (laughs) Um, But, no, the the tweet was going around about um, Norm's only supposed to be, like, 33 or 34, along with John, John Ratzenberger's character. And it just, as someone who is... In my mid thirties, it's I'm crazy. Just like, okay, I feel like time. I feel like they look like they're like fifty the whole time. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess people just look younger these days. No, that sounds that makes me sound like a libertarian. <laughs> delete that out. Delete that out. Delete that out. <laughs> or leave it in and double it. I don't know. Whatever works. Oh, Cliff. Anyways, uh, so Cliff. Uh, yeah, Cliff Clavin is um the post. The oh, post Cliff, list. Cliff, Cliff, Cliff. What did yes, you think yes. I said? Anyways, so how about Quark the Mirador and Murder? Yeah, it's Click Clavin over here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway. <laughs> See, I almost think video chat is worse. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> we're just really silly. <laughs> All right. So Quark... The Miradorn twins and murder. So we'll set the scene a little bit here. This is where the episode starts. Odo's very sus of the Miradorns on the station because Odo loves to racially profile. Let's just call a spade a spade. And unfortunately on Star Trek Deep Space Nine for 12 episodes, when Odo racially profiles you, the episode proves that Odo's racial profiling is correct. Oh yeah, so they the love to agree tw- with him. 
love it. The Mirrodorn twins are selling selling this artifact, this bobble. It kind of looks like a Fabergé egg. It's a space Fabergé egg. You know, whatever. I thought it was kind of ugly, egg. personally. Well, I mean... It wasn't to my taste in Fabergé yeah, eggs. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... <laughs> They're really to my taste either. I get that they're expensive, though. Um, And Quark, again, because Odo knows Quark and knows he's got his lobes. Did you see me wiggle my eyebrows there? Oh, yeah, I did. Waggle them. Because he's got his lobes in in everything that's going on on the station. Um, Quark is the middle person representing the buyer and there's no papers the mirrodorns just, are, are up to it just to no occurred good. To, it just occurred to me that i don't think quark ever had a buyer i think the intention was to try to steal this thing and that there was never a buyer and i didn't realize that until just now that maybe and, and the person that he hires to, to steal it is our guest star of the episode croden who is new to the station he is i guess the uh third gamma quadrant alien that's come to the station right because yeah, we, we had we had our buddy tosk we had the wadi yeah and move along home yep. and uh and croden yeah croden came with some some vulcans they rescued a ship he came through and he's been he's been being a cliff um hanging out at cheers with morn and quarks run him into this scheme and the robbery goes bad and croden ends up mm murdering one of the two Miradorn twins. Um I was uh yeah, sorry. And Odo was hiding. Odo changed into a glass, which was kind of fun. Um and you don't know until it gets like thrown that he cuz he wanted to listen in on this conversation. Um I was reading on Memory Alpha how Armin Shimmerman was kind of concerned about Quark's actions in this episode and that he set up this scheme that ended in a murder and was never there were never any consequences for his actions and he didn't want he didn't like that Quark and also Cisco really because he's the one who doesn't punish him in any way were party to this without any repercussions like he thought it maybe cheapened the characters and i thought that was an interesting take but i also feel like they weren't gonna lock quark up for like the rest of the series so i don't know what other options that there would have been that's a really interesting comment too and when you look at kind of the production history of deep space nine and kind of all the various kind of quotes that are out there from from the actors and things like that like armin shimmerman is such like a lot of the cast are like renee aubergenois um who who played odo the the late great renee aubergenois um had a lot of these thoughtful quotes as well but just like the ownership that armin takes of quark and Armin, like talking like I've actually met him, which I haven't. But like the the ownership that Armin Schumerman takes of Quark and kind of the the passion, care, and thought that I think Armin has for his craft, and then also just being kind of I think the introspective, deep thinker, empathetic man that he seems to be is just always really interesting. And like I always, I have all the time in the world to read all the Armin Schumerman quotes. 
Oh, on same. Not just Quark, but on everything else, like, ever. It's just... Yeah. He's Armin very... and Kitty Swank are pretty cool. Yeah. Kitty Swank being his, his wife. Yeah. Who was a former board member of, of SAG, actually, around this time oh. in the 90s. Oh, interesting. The Screen Actors Guild, yeah. I just like how thoughtful he is about the character. Like, it just... Yeah. He really, really cares, and I and I really like that. So Cisco has this idea where because Croden is from this planet of uh, Rakar, was it Rakar? I kept getting it confused with the planet on um, on Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> but I like know uh, that they are had some. Oh, name. Scar or Scar? Scar. That was Scar. Scar. Yeah, but yeah. it kind of like made me think of that. Um, he wants to go, like, introduce himself to the Rakari and be like, hey, uh, your boy did some murder on Deep Space Nine, like, do you want to know about it, et cetera, et cetera. And I found it interesting that everyone, all the senior officers were, like, debating how that would go, and I felt like that was kind of, um, they just threw that in there to, like, show like Kira and Miles a little bit and Dax maybe a little bit. I mean, I Dax goes with Cisco to the planet, but it just felt like a just throwing in like lines for them. But um Kira was very adamant that he she thought the Rakari would be really happy to hear from um Cisco because um Croden must have been a a criminal on their planet and that he will be happy. They would be happy to have him taken off their hands. And I just thought that was, she's always assuming people have bad motives and it just, I'm more curious in why Croden helped with this scheme and like what his backstory is than the fact that he killed someone, which I don't know what that says about me, but. So I have a couple different thoughts. Like, on one level, I am understanding of the fact where Nerys, where Kira, um, Kira Nerys, where, where Kira, like, here I am thinking about a first name basis with one of my favorite characters. Yeah, I think we are. Um, but where, like, Nerys is, like, has had to assume the worst about people to survive during the occupation. Like, I can... I can understand that and I can appreciate that from like a, a character standpoint, but it's frustrating. And I think it runs in opposition to what we expect from like our, our good and, and noble air quotes sometimes, not all the time. Um, Starfleet officers in that, like Kira doesn't necessarily see the individual or have any any interest in seeing the individual and understanding. It's just not a good look. She's like, yeah, cool, we'll take him off their hands. Once once a thief, always a thief. Blah, 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 blah. He's a bad man. And it's like, I feel like sometimes they just have Kira in those type of scenes and making those type of comments to be the angry non-Starfleet voice in the room, kind of in opposition to like our Federation ideals. Right. And we've... We've talked before about the idea of the Roddenberry box and the rules that Roddenberry created for um, TNG specifically. And then that Rick Berman. Fuck Rick Berman. Then was as shepherding after Roddenberry died as kind of shepherding the franchise um, would hold the writers to. And that's why you had the integration in the post TNG shows 
uh, post-GG 24th century shows of the non-human or the non-Starfleet characters in the case of Voyager. That's why they added, you know, the, the Maquis and Voyager and more on the Maquis when we get to that in Deep Space Nine, if you're watching along for the first time, in order to have those kind of incidents for, for drama. And I feel like they're just really riding that home with Kira sometimes. And, like, based on what we find out about Croden later in the episodes, like, he might have more in common with Kira than she even realized or cared to realize, right? Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I wonder if the caring more about or not caring as much about the individual is like a Kira thing or like a Bajoran thing because I feel like even at in the in the original um in the pilot I don't know I couldn't come up with that word she's very concerned with getting um the Kai on board with like everything that has to be done with the wormhole and making sure that Bajoran, that Bajor is um, all on the same page. But I also feel like from her past actions, she's very concerned with like getting the job done more than like not hurting people's feelings. And I don't know if it's just like how she was brought up or just like the circumstance, the like her circumstances prior to Deep Space Nine have made her this way. I don't know if any of that made sense. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it did. And that's fair. And I don't know if... I don't really have an answer I don't know for that. If the... I'm just curious. No, yeah. for yeah. sure. And, like, I don't know if the show has an answer for yeah. it yet. Right? And, like, I think to... Not to be too... Feature, like, looking ahead. But we definitely have some meaty Kira stuff coming up in kind of the the back half of the season how many episodes are there in season one are we i think close just to half? 20 so we are more than yeah half, so I think. we're about half yeah yeah i know it's not like a full 26 season which is what was the norm and some of the other ones that we have yeah it's a little bit us. shorter mm-hmm. so we're about we're more or less halfway let's call it halfway um wild to think about I know. um but there's, there's some meaty Kira stuff coming in the second half so we'll probably be able to answer some of those questions yeah a little sure. bit better going forward yeah. Um, so Cisco and Dax go to Ricard to tell them what happened on Deep Space Nine, and they are like not interested in dealing with them at all. They're like, we don't want anything to do with you people, but also bring Croden back because he needs to answer for his crimes here. I was surprised that Cisco agreed to this. I don't. I don't know why. It just felt like maybe a little bit out of character, but I also felt like it was a difficult situation. Yeah, I think so. Like, Croden, there's a lip service to the, the same kind of first contact protocols when the Wadi showed up where they had the... I wonder if Bashir got a new uh, a new dress uniform. Maybe <laughs> Um where Cronin showed up in the, maybe, the whole first contact rigmarole. Maybe Keiko will bring it back for him when she comes back from Earth. From Earth, maybe. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, so, like, I think, like, Cisco's hands were probably, like, a bit bound in terms of, like, not wanting to cause an interstellar incident over, over the prisoner and things like that. Um, and just... Right. But, yeah, it's... It's complicated, and I don't think the plot wants us to think about it that much. It is, it's like, because then you're not, 
the crime happened in the Bajoran jurisdiction should go through like the Bajoran legal system. But they want him extradited back to to Rakhar. So I want to say like Raknar because at the time of this recording, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition was just released, and I've been playing a lot of that. What's and Rachnar? the Rachni? Is it like or, a... well, the Rachni? The Rachni are like this. Uh... There's a major choice in the first game involving the Rachni. They were a thought to be extinct race that were kind of an insectoid that's spread out, and it's kind of the lore. So one of the the main choices in the first game is whether. I feel like, oh, spoilers if you're playing for the first time, but whatever, it came out in 2007. Um, Just so, fast forward yeah, a little the, bit if you're playing it, Mass Effect. If you're Effect. playing Mass Effect for the first time, <laughs> one of the first choices is someone brings back a Rachni queen, mm-hmm. right? And you can choose to kill her or, like, let her go free to kind of make sure the race doesn't stay extinct. Um, and then that, if you choose to save the Rachni queen in the third game, I think it is, they end up coming back to help you against this, like, giant apocalyptic event that kind of the series is the first three games in the series of the shepherd series are are about every time you say arachne or whatever i keep thinking you're gonna say like arachnus and i'm like no it's it's (laughs) rachni which is probably like why it's like close to like i mean yeah close to arrakis get some spice yeah um oh i pronounced it wrong arrakis yeah you're right i think it's arrakis i don't remember now i think it's arrakis i think that's how the the movie says it yeah, Anyways, we'll you're probably right. cut this out because I don't. I don't want some Dune nerd coming into my mentions. It's a racket. No, you're right. I was wrong. You do not have to at either of us about this conversation, <laughs> folks. <laughs> <clears throat> um, it's interesting the scene where um, Akel is that his name? I Akel, the um, the twin that's not dead, is like convinced that Quark has information about where Croden is and he, you know, he's kind of threatening him, Quark, to tell him. So they get out uh, security clearance four or whatever. That like Tubi, the Tubi thing. It looks like a, uh, like a CBD vial or something. Um, they find out that Odo has taken um, Croden back to his home world and I th- I'm laughing that Rom kind of thinks that Quark, like, gave Akel this information on purpose to get, like, Croden and um, Odo killed. But I really don't think that that's what happens. I think Quark really doesn't want to give him this information for... Well, for one, I don't think he wants Odo to be killed. But also, he doesn't want Croden to be able to tell Akel hey, Quark and Rom were in on this plot with me. And then therefore, Quark and Rom get also murdered if that um, happened. But I I just feel like I can't... I mean, I know you may disagree with me on this, but I feel like I can't tell if they're just trying to make Rom seem like not smart for so long. I don't know. There was a comment earlier in another episode where um, I think Odo makes a crack at Rom. And I just feel like that might just be early character stuff where they haven't gotten him figured out. Like, he's, I don't think he's stupid, and they kind of make him, for lack of a better word, I don't really like that one. But, um, 
I don't know, kind of rambling. But I feel like Rom is later smarter than they show at first. Yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely kind of the case. And they do kind of, I think, play Rom more for kind of like laughs and a little more kind of like slapsticky. Like, or well, maybe not slapstick because he's not like literally doing pratfalls and, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it, it gives Quark something, someone to kind of like play off of. And like, and maybe this is the benefit of like knowing that Rom isn't dumb having, having seen. I don't like using that word either. Yeah, but like, I don't like any of those uh, words. No. Because, like, I guess slight spoilers for later in the series, but that, like, Rom is actually a bit of, like, and I think we might have talked about this a little bit during our episode on, on Babel, where Odo thinks Rom can't fix the replicator, and that's why Quark is lying about um, using the command deck replicators that spread the aphasia virus, is Rom actually gets kind of retconned, or it's, it's shown later that he is a bit of a, an engineering whiz and a a technical like savant right yeah so like re- so with that benefit of hindsight of knowing that about rom it's like i don't read rom as quote not smart um i just use it more as like rom not having a filter and then that which like a lot of people don't i and don't really that- have that much of a filter either for what it's worth <laughs> and then quark is frustrated by that and then I think he needs a healthier way to express his frustration or to deal with it instead of like calling Rom stupid or whatever. Because everything Rom's saying makes sense. And he's like ascribing to Quark more manipulation, more machinations right. looking for profit and self-preservation that like Quark definitely is capable of doing. It's just like you say, Elise, I think I don't think ultimately deep down Quark wants Odo to die and is yeah. feeling regret knowing that Odo won't ever give up his prisoner to the Mirador. Yeah, what you said kind of reminds me of what we discussed last week about um, the Nagus kind of praising Quark for opening a bar near the wormhole. Like, that's obviously not what, what happened, but it just turned out that way. So, like, Rom is kind of, like, similarly reading into the situation in a way that might not be, like, what happened and that might just be a Ferengi trait to like assume everyone's scheming all the time well and I, I no I I totally agree and that's what's what's valued and expected and socialized into their into their culture right yeah so that's like how you be a, a good Ferengi right yeah so I think we'll get a little bit into the Odo changeling stuff after, but just to, like, for this main plot, it it just really turns out that Crodin just wanted to rescue his daughter, um, who was hiding in the vortex, so... The titular vortex? The titular vortex, yes. So, um, we'll get into a little bit more, but basically, um, you know, Cisco asks Odo to escort, um... Crowden back to Rakar, which my ears were like, oh, there's a escape plot that might happen now. <laughs> you know, I, I just felt like, um, 
you know, Crodin was going to uh, try something or somehow get Odo to take him to the Vortex instead of back to Rakar, which obviously is what happened. But um, I thought, um, I thought, like, I felt sad for Crodin that he only had his daughter left of his family, but was really happy to see them reunited. And Odo lets them, lets them go with the Vulcans. And he's even willing to lie to Starfleet about the Crodin's status. And I'm wondering if we think that Odo is softening up a little bit. That's an interesting question. So I do think this this episode, like we, we were discussing before, gives us a more three-dimensional picture of, like, Odo. And part of that is through the ways in which Crodin manipulates him and, like, Crodin's really good at, I think, at reading Odo's very blank, literally and metaphorically, <laughs> um, expressions to find that this need and this want and this desire to know more about um, who he is and, and where he came from and kind of seeking this, these things in his, his identity. So Crodin's astute and then kind of pulls that out from Odo. So, like, we're, we as the audience are getting more um, more insight into that. And so I don't know if it's like a softening. Like It is a softening of Odo, but I think also we're implying that like Odo's always had kind of this softer side. And maybe that's, maybe that's what Quark sees, and maybe that's why Quark deep down seems to love him. I don't know. <laughs> In this episode, we hear the word changeling for the first time to describe what Odo is. Crodin calls him that and seems to be familiar with his species. And then Crodin tells him a lot about changelings, which later turns out to not be all true. But it's interesting that he uses that information to... This is where I feel like the manipulation happened. He tells Odo that he's more versatile than other changelings. He's the only one that he's ever seen that mimics a humanoid um and he really preys on i don't the word praise isn't right because i in the end i think crodin wanted his help for something that's not sinister but um he really like pulls at the strings of odo being an outsider where at deep space nine and he he's trying to kind of separate him from his crew to get him to help him i feel like mentally like saying you're different from them etc etc and and it really and i feel like it works but i also feel like he like it made odo really want to know more yeah that 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 skill set can be in fact like like Crodin's motivations were good because he wanted to save yeah. his daughter and Stasis, but could be used for some really sinister evil things. Shit. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's like there's a lot of bad stuff that could be done with that kind of behavior. What did you think of the necklace that um he had that was like turned into that key? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was like a cool idea and a, like a cool concept, and I think it definitely kind of because we 
have that investigation of its like biological matrix or whatever and it's like very it's somewhat related to odo's um genetic structure and stuff um what does julian call it a very close cousin or distant distant cousin cousin, yeah distant cousin um so i think it's just like planting seeds that like future episodes and future writers and future odo episodes specifically Mm -hmm. can like pull from on different threads they can pull from if if they decide or want to want to reveal um want to reveal more things about odo's odo's past so and i think that's why too it's kind of a hard episode for me to kind of dive into kind of thematically because it feels like it does plant a lot of seeds and some which germinate later and some which 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 might not or don't so like to go back retroactively and put myself in like a the headspace of a first time viewer for this episode specifically is challenging yeah it gave us like little inklings of what might be out there about changelings um i felt bad for odo though because I think he really wanted to believe that there was that this person was gonna help him and have all this information about changelings and that this colony was going to actually have changelings in it and or on it and that none of it was all bullshit. <laughs> Not all, but like yeah. most of it was. Like yeah, the yeah. the fact that they were like still existing there was bullshit and and Croden admits that he did only heard stories of changelings, and you can tell, like, when his daughter meets Odo, too, like, that they've never met a changeling before, and it was, even though we don't know more about changelings at this point, it was really nice to see Odo at least find out, and ex- he seemed to accept the name of his species, like, when the when um, Croden's daughter was like, are you really a changeling? And he was just like, yeah, I suppose I am. And it just, he seemed disappointed in general, but like kind of happy that he had like a name for what he was at least. And it kind of made me yeah. feel like he's getting a little bit of information, which is better than nothing. Well, yeah. And like, even if like these are old stories and old legends and old myths, like they could be somewhat based in kind of like certain like historical realities or whatever. Oh, so it's totally. like something... It's like a glimmer of of hope or something for Odo to kind of like grab on in his his quest, right? Because even yeah. we know, like, even though this is a bit of like a different picture into this kind of like quest for identity and to be known that Odo has, it's like a softening of it, like we said. But in the pilot, he had that line where it's like, "I, I need to come with you." Yeah, I was, thinking, I was found near the Genoria spell. Yeah, like, right? I was so. thinking of the same scene the whole time. Like he, this really just continued the, or like reminded us that he's on a quest to find out what he is. Yeah, it's it's like when you uh, maybe a passive quest, but a quest anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 like when you make a, an RPG character, like whether it's D and D or like a Star Wars tabletop game or whatever, and like, what's your character's like motivation? That you tell the DM that maybe you're not sharing with the rest of the the party or whatever that they're gonna weave into the story as they need. It's like that's Odo's character motivation is to find his identities, and I think that being said, Elise, if if you're if you're cool, I found the um, and I'll I'll link it in the 
the show notes but i found a copy to the the ds9 like writer's bible from the the start of the series and i'd like to read um the section on odo yes, if i may please do and, th- and then maybe we can kind of pivot into to spoiler chat for yeah um all right odo alien male middle-aged curmudgeon dot 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 and a shapeshifter in his natural state he's a gelatinous liquid he was the bajoran law enforcement officer for the space station under the cardassians starfleet decides to have him continue in that role since he's extremely savvy about the promenade and all who frequent it his backstory 50 years ago with no memory of his past he was found alone in a mysterious spacecraft that appeared near the denorius asteroid belt he was found by the Bajora and lived among them. Again, the this name gets turned into Bajorans more consistently, but we've heard Bajora refer, referred to as a name for the Bajorans in, in season one. At first, he was sort of an, quote, elephant man, a source of curiosity and humor as he turned himself into a chair or a pencil. Finally, he realized he would have to take the form of a humanoid, humanoid to assimilate and function in their environment. He does that, but he resents it. As a result, Odo performs a uniquely important role in the ensemble. He is the character who explores and comments on human values. And because, he is fo- because he- and because he is forced to pass off as one, his point of view usually comes with a cynical and critical edge. He can't, quite qu- he can't quite get it right, this humanoid shape, although he continues to try. He looks a little unfinished in a way. He was working on- he's been working on it a long time. Some might ask him, why don't you take the form of a younger man? And he answers, if I could, I would. He has the adopted child syndrome of searching for his own personal identity and an inherent insecurity. What better metaphor could there be for an identity crisis than a shapeshifter? When the wormhole is discovered very close to where he was originally found, Oda realizes that the answer to a lot of his questions in his life could be on the other side. Someday he hopes someone will come through the wormhole, perhaps looking for him, and tell him who he is. Although he doesn't know anything about his species, he is certain that justice is an integral part of their being, because, of the, necessi- because the necessity for it runs through every fiber of his body, a racial memory. That's why he became a lawman. When it comes to doing his job, he doesn't always follow the letter of the law. The way he figures it, laws change, justice is justice. That puts him in conflict with our commander who tells him he can't take the law into his own hands if he wants to stay on Deep Space Nine. Kira finds his negative attitude toward authority delightful and they have a Bajoran fellowship. He has a couple Bajoran deputies. He doesn't allow weapons on the promenade and once every day he must return to his gelatinous form. Well, that's Odo. <laughs> I thought I think the go ahead sorry. I was thinking about at the beginning of that where you're where you explain that or where they say that he was on the Bajoran station during the Cardassian occupation and how it I it could be read into that maybe he was not entirely on the Cardassian's uh, influence even though he was right. following their rules. So I feel like that kind of adds to our conversation about, like, why is Odo still here a little bit? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, like, why I wanted to 
And thank you for indulging me. I kind of read it out because I was curious about this episode and some of the stuff that we that Crodens shares with Odo. Like if any of that was in the Bible, kind of at the in- inception, and like uh, there's the Denorius belt stuff that's in the pilot, right? Which felt very piloty when that line. Yeah, came it was like harder. out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But that idea of like Odo feeling like a bit of like an adopted child and like his struggling with like identity and stuff like that. We didn't really see, I think until this episode, sorry, we didn't really see until this episode. And I think that that's, that's a really necessarily necessary insight into Odo's character that I appreciate us now having. Yeah. I think that really does um, help explain his situation a little bit better and how he's feeling. I, um, I agree with you. Yeah. So then I guess if we want to briefly have like a spoiler chat, or I guess before we get into that, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we kind of talked about watching this episode, having seen the entire series? Um, no, I think that that was all that I had. Let me just double check. No, I think, I think I'm good. Okay. Cool. Well, spoiler chat. Skip ahead a couple minutes. I think once we put the episode out, we can say the timing in the notes on like when the spoiler and en- chat ends or something like that. Yeah, that just means I gotta write it down, which I was thinking of doing anyways, but I didn't want to commit ourselves oh, to it. But now you've sorry. committed us to it. Well, we can no, cut no, that it's, out. it's 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 fine. It's fine. It's fine. Sorry. It's fine. No, it's just it's, like giving it's, Matt it's, more it's work really to do. It's really, it's not much work to write down the timestamps. It's right. Fine. All right. So spoiler chat. Um, even though the episode ends in this part where like Crodens heard some like myths and stories about changelings and we're left with the implication that he's BSing Oda the whole way. So this is why I pulled up the Bible because I was right. curious because so much of it ends up not being BS. Like there's stuff yeah. about the great link. It's about like, how why like with the dominion and the founders who are if you haven't watched the series and you're in spoiler talk why are you here um <laughs> but like well, they just how make, the founders some people just don't care about spoilers you and i that's are true. very and I'm, much like i'm that. generally one of them i'm generally <laughs> one of them um but how like their fascism is genetic and like all this like more like 75 percent of what croden teases with Odo in terms of what changelings are, including the name, ends up being stuff we find out in the opening of season three and then through the rest of the series. So, like, it feels like it feels like such an important episode retroactively. Yeah. And, like, I think I want to say Groden, but it's Croden. <laughs> um, and Croden is, I think, really well acted and is, is a really kind of like interesting one-off character. And his dynamic with Odo is interesting, but like three quarters of what he tells Odo ends up being true. And the episode ends in this place where it's like, it's all bullshit. So it's like they dusted off this episode and then created the founders around them. Right. Yeah. Right? It Excuse does me. feel like they revisited this episode when they, um, or they probably, whenever they were going to flesh out the rest of Odo's story, went back to where I, this is what I would do. I would go back to all the previous Odo episodes and see what had been said already. And 
it seems like they did take a lot from this episode or if that was the plan all along for some of this to be true while they were writing this i didn't i didn't read about that one way or the other all right and thus ends spoiler chat we'll move to one of our regular scheduled segments of the episode the altair water thirst quencher because we need a long drink because we are very thirsty bitches so elise who are you thirsting for this week um this week we definitely have a quota check in for me (laughs) um there's the one scene where like Odo's just like nagging Cork to, for information about Croden because he mostly because he wants to know more about himself and like oh, Cork's like leave me the fuck alone but he also like snar- <laughs> he has that one scene where he like snarls at him he's like yeah. and I'm like that was kind of hot right I, I mean, it didn't clock for like, me, but if you it just it felt would. like I just didn't realize until this watch how into Quoto I truly am. Like I didn't, I didn't really catch it early on last time. Like I remember thinking of it. Um, I mean, this is like not a spoiler, but the one that one episode in the future where they're like stuck on that planet together. Like I kind of thought of it then. The one that reminds me of the Sopranos Pine Barrens episode. But, um, which you'll get to when you get to The Sopranos season three. Um, but yeah, like I kind of like started clocking it then and I just didn't realize how early on it happened. So yeah, that's my thirst quencher for this week. That snarl. Yeah. Yeah. No, there you go. And it's like, Odo just seems really, or Quark, excuse me, seems really sad when he thinks that like Odo, Odo might die because he'd never give up his prisoner and just like... He's it's carrying heavy on his heart, and whether it's like a romantic weight or a platonic weight, it's 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 cute. So I'm right with you there. Um, I don't really have a a, a an additional. I don't have an additional moment for that, so I think we can just move into the most Star Trek thing of the episode. Elise, what was your most Star Trek thing or moment of the episode? My most Star Trek thing was definitely at the end when Odo bent the rules because it was the right thing to do. Um, We never found out what Croden's um, crimes were on his home planet. And I just think that Odo realized that they had he and his daughter had just been through enough and was just like, let the Vulcans take them to safety and just pretend that they were killed. That just felt like very star trek to just go against what you're supposed what you're supposed to do because it's what feels right it's also the right thing to do yeah for sure and i like i kind of wonder what croden did to make himself a quote enemy of the people which is why most of his family was killed because that was the punishment and then the crimes that croden talks about is um fighting back and and killing the uh killing the security officers who killed his family but like was he like a political dissident like that's something it Kira probably so... would have been on his side about we just never found out it's so unclear and his planet seems really severe with like punishments like they said that there was like he was already charged i guess but like he croden had said there was no trials on his planet so i'm like really curious what that even entailed <laughs> Uh, my most Star Trek thing of the episode was Odo being knocked out by a rock conveniently and then someone deciding that they had to do the right thing and not that someone being Croden to like not leave Odo there. Um, but the reason I'm also doing it as like a Star Trek moment and kind of in addition to yours, Elise, is because 
something that shouldn't happen happens for the sake of the plot and never happens again because we've even debated this before and like can odo be hurt by a phaser talk right right which the answer is yes which i think we, we came up with on that episode but like physical objects are allowed to go through him like they did in the pilot but because it's so new he gets knocked up by the rock like he's a solid and that never happens again do you think that he has to like purposely let the rock go through him or maybe if he's surprised it could hit him because like he can like touch things I'm that's trying to make true. it not a continuity error. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Not to like, I, I but think... I agree with you, with you like that. It like I don't remember that ever happening again. Yeah. But I wonder if he has to be like aware or like prepared for like an object to go through him because he, you know, he can like, you know, touch objects and stuff like that. Like when he's like arresting someone, he's not like going through the handcuffs or whatever it is. No, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. It's it's in it's it's unclear. Yeah, we'll allow it. It's, it's unclear. The most Star Trek thing. All right, Elise. Is there any other kind of final thoughts on season one, episode twelve, The Vortex? Um, no, I think that we did it. It's a podcast. Well, in the meantime, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at Podrates, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. You can also email the show at Podrates at gmail.com. Great. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. As always, thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye.